I'm the jockey. I bet on me. And, you know, and I you won and you've stuff. overcome and you continue to win Everything. and you're doing yeah. it now and helping other people. And, you know, when you have this liquidity event that you want to do, it could be one of the most life changing wealth creation e events in history. Right. Um, and 10, so thousand plus people, Dion, we have 10,000 plus. Investors. Oh, I know. I'm one of them. <laughs> I, would, I would say it, about 80 to 90 percent of those are black people. Anyone can trade, anyone can invest, anyone can play the money game, but not everyone can win. I'm Dion Pouncey. My guest and I will share playbooks to ensure you have the tools and skills to dominate the money game. Join us at themoneygamepodcast.com. Welcome back to the Money Game Podcast. I'm your host, Dion Pouncil. And today I have a very, very special guest, one of my great, great friends, Ms. Dawn Dixon. Dawn, welcome to the show. How's it going? What up? What up? Happy to be here because Money Game is the game. Hey, you already I'm know. <laughs> <laughs> so, for everybody who doesn't know, I don't know how because you were renowned, but please introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and, you know, why you're so critically, critically acclaimed. Thanks for that little intro. Yeah. I've been an entrepreneur 20 years. I'm an inventor. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've started now six companies since 2001, cash flow positive. I exited one in 2021, which is a restaurant. And then I'm really mostly well known for flat out of heels, which are rollable flats for women when our feet hurt and heels. I've been around for 11 years. And Popcom, which is a software technology company for vending machines. So we make these smart vending machines. They're really cool. I have a patent on that. And that's been around for almost 10 years and very well known for being an equity crowdfunding pioneer. I've raised over $6 million from equity crowdfunding. So, you know, that's a little bit about about me. Nice, nice, nice. So, yeah, uh, definitely on the humble side, I feel you, but you had a lot in there to unpack. So definitely want to dive into it a little bit deep. So, all right, you got three pretty much successful things in there, but you have multiple um, ones that you started, learned from, grown, and even had an exit under your belt. So take us back to kind of the origin story, how you got into business. I think I've basically always been in business since a kid, always having a hustle, always selling something, always, you know, bringing people together to to make things shake, make money. I'm from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, seen a lot of entrepreneurs, both legal and illegal around. So I always had it in me to like, go get money. I, I just did not want to ask my parents for money. I wanted to get money. But then when I went to college, so in my time, you know, I'm dating myself, but like entrepreneurship was not a topic. You don't, nobody was an entrepreneur. Those words weren't used. Like if they have a, their own business, they're just like a small business owner, but it's nothing that you like aspire to be. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't glamorized. Certainly going to college, graduating and getting a corporate job was what was like the way to go in my family and like in the black community in the 80s. So I just like stayed on that path. And when I graduated from college, I went back for, for IT because I was really interested in tech. And I worked corporate for like eight months and realized like this isn't for me. I just had like the it was pulling me. It was pulling me to do my own thing. I know that I have valuable skills. I knew I can make more money on my own. I just had that feeling like I can make more money doing this on my own. I can do this. There's a market demand for my skill set, which at the time was coding, um, you know, building websites and marketing. And this is in 2001. So a lot of people couldn't build websites. It wasn't like black people doing this. And so I just felt like, okay, I'm about to start my own thing. And it worked out. And so I think my first entry into entrepreneurship, because it went well and it took off and it really was a success, it gave me that confidence to just, just know like I can start stuff and I can execute. And so that first business was the Urban Star. It was an entertainment and event website in Columbus, Ohio. And it seems like basic now, but back then, keep in mind, there was no smartphones. There was no social media. It did not exist. There was no way to go in, online and find out what was going on. The only way to find out what to do in the city was to get a flyer in your hand, like a paper printed out hot card with information on it. There was no text right. messaging or anything. So it was very revolutionary and like innovative for us to put information on a website and then start sending out email blasts every week about what's the, what to do in the city for the week. That turned into an email newsletter that turned into, you know, getting a lot of money for emails and advertisements on our website that turned into um, building a, a, a 
video player before YouTube where we were streaming videos, showing what the club looked like and the event looked like so you can see what it's like before you go. We were doing all this stuff in like 2001, two and three. Right. When you know there was no Wix, there was no Shopify, there was no hack. We were hand we were hand coding everything, and we were doing everything ourselves. There was no automation, and so that really grew, and that also gave me a unique positioning as like an early person in what is now like email marketing and digital marketing. So I've been in digital marketing before it was even called digital marketing, and that skill set of being able to build websites and get information to people on the World Wide Web. That actually has what's been carrying like my career from from that point on. But entrepreneurship, just like it's just been in me and I, I feel that I'm a natural problem solver. So you'll see all my business and be like, there's really no correlation in all these companies. I mean, flat out in Popcom, but the others are like, I see a need. I can solve it. I got a solution and I go out and do it. Okay, so you 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 definitely hit on a lot of key points in there. First and foremost, you've seen value in the difference between the corporate world and you running your own thing. One, two, you were able to see how technology was already impacting the world back in two thousand one because you went and it's like you know what I'm going to specialize in this IT thing because I see that this really is what's moving the wave, yeah. right? And then you bet on yourself to start the company and and do something that at that time, and you do this a lot, but like pioneering things, right? So being ahead of the curve, then being a black woman at the same time, and then being a black woman in business, um, and also in the industry that was relatively new, yeah. uh, was a lot to take on. So how did you, you know, have the confidence to do that out the, out the gate or in general? I mean, I don't know where it came from. I just know what my skill set. I knew what I could do. And I knew that they were paying me $45,000 a year at Nationwide to do this. And I know I could, I know I could make more. And I, and I, it wasn't even so much about more money, but I didn't like the constraints around working in a corporate environment. It's for some people, but it's not, it wasn't for me. Right. I was just not challenged in that work environment. I remember being at my desk and getting my work done and being like, I mean, way ahead of everything. And I would have like three, four, five hours left in my workday. Like, what am I supposed to do today? I've done, I've done everything I could do. And which may be a dream for some people because they can just sit there and get paid. But like, that's not, that doesn't, that doesn't right. motivate me. I actually like challenges. I like to tackle hard things. So, and then I also realized there was no upward mobility. As a young person, my very first job, I reported directly to the president of the company. That was my direct report. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, if I'm direct, if I'm reporting to the president, What's the next role I can get? I only can move horizontal because I'm not about to be the president. Right. I'm 22. <laughs> I'm not about to be the president of this Fortune 500 company and 100 company. And I'll, I'm seeing people spending 20 years just to, you know, get ahead in these organizations. Yeah. So I think that's what gave me the confidence. I just looked at like people around me, like the adults around me, people that are now my age today. And I'm like, I don't want that life y'all right. got. Yeah, know thyself. <laughs> so I got to do something else. <laughs> yeah, know thyself. Okay, so that's cool. All right, so you do that, and then you're like, okay, I'm moving this. You're doing some numbers. You're doing email marketing, email blast, which was still ahead of the time, et cetera, et cetera. But what you've identified is like, here are some gaps. Here are my skill set, and I think I could use my skill set to fill those gaps. And then the market start proving it because it started paying you to do that, right? So you was able to yeah. see a need, fill the void, get some money off of it. And kind of what we call in the in the investment world, right? You know, the TAM. You had an addressable market and you were able to yeah. service them. So then, okay, yeah. talk about how you go from running an events marketing company, digital marketing company, to putting shoes in vending machines. It was like another business in between there. So 2005, okay. 2005, yeah. I started D1 Consulting Group. So after having Urban Star for now at this point, four and a half, five years, we were like an authority in events and people started to come to me asking me, can I do like events for them? Or can I do like, can I help them build a website or can I help them with a marketing campaign? And I knew I had to keep that separate from 
my main business because that business is unbiased. Like anybody that wants to market, they can. So I didn't want to like do that underneath that business. So I said, okay, I'll start a consulting company and I'll start working with businesses to help them on their digital marketing. Many people didn't even have websites at this time. Right. I remember very clearly businesses saying, we don't need a website. Websites are fad. Nobody's going to shop online. I remember those days. People will not buy clothes online. Right. You can't try them on. You know, so this was like the resistance that I was getting or like, Keep in mind, we didn't have these smartphones and people in the certain demographics, certain neighborhoods, then I have PCs. And again, it wasn't like Max. It was like they didn't have they didn't have computers. So it was like, why are we getting a website? Right. But I seen what was coming, you know, and that's the thing about being a pioneer and seeing the future. It kind of sucks because like you're so ahead. And then by the time you know, everybody catches up to do, you, you're burnt out or like they done took <laughs> all your all your juice. You know, <laughs> I know. It's like, so I'll just be like a pioneer over and over. But, you know, that's kind of how it led to that. So I started D1 Consulting and I started doing consulting for events, entertainment, marketing to like mainly nonprofits and small businesses. So then that rolled into when I was doing nonprofits, the recession hit 2017. And a lot of my clients, the first thing they cut was their marketing budget. So remember, I was a consultant. I was not in-house. So they're getting rid of anything, reducing the burn like everybody's doing today, reducing the burn. It's 2016, 2017. And so I'm like, you know, they're cutting marketing. This is my role. They're they're going to go down. Where can I go that's like recession proof? What's recession proof? This is exactly what I said to myself. Like what is going to be popping no matter what? Entertainment and sports. Because people will spend their last dime on drinks and or sports. Like those are the things that give people that relief from realizing that escape from like what's going on in the current right. environment. So I was living in Columbus, Ohio, and it just the market wasn't big enough, you know, so I realized that I needed to to move. So I moved to Atlanta and I used many of my contacts that I had from Ohio State, which was a big college that sent many players to the NFL and NBA. Yeah. So I had a lot of friends that just end up going to the leagues. Nice. And so I'm like, all right, I already have this nonprofit. I've been working with nonprofits for years now. So this is like. was two, Yeah, this was like by this time, about five years. And so they just, I said, okay, I'm going to work. I'm going to specialize. I'm going to change my branding to specialize in working on nonprofits for athletes and entertainers. Same work, but just a niche. Give me a niche. And the niche is people that can pay. Right. I said, who can always pay? Right. <laughs> who got money? So I'm going to just specialize on them. So the recession didn't even affect me because I just specialized working with athletes and entertainers, nonprofits. Now, we all know athletes and entertainers, their nonprofits do parties, celebrity weekends, bowling things, coat drives, you know, all these things in Atlanta. Right. So all these celebrity weekends were doing, happening and I was throwing these events. So I started doing sponsorships, getting sponsorships, getting grants, getting marketing dollars, getting NFL dollars for these players. And then I'm in the club more because a part of the celebrity weekends is also the after party. So now I'm like in the club. So now I'll turn into... PR, brokering bottles, brokering tables, booking whole weekends, you know, doing the nonprofit coat driving at the nighttime, doing the club right. and going to the strip club and seeing, you know, all of this and all this whole time it's women in heels, including me, a woman in heels. And so wearing heels every night, seeing women walking barefoot. My aha moment was 2011 in Miami. I was at um, Prime 112 on South Beach. I remember this very clearly. Like it was yesterday yeah. it was ocho cinco's birthday party evelyn was giving him a surprise birthday party because they was together and i was working in some heels that were like literally six inches and by the time the dinner was over i couldn't even make it to the after party my feet felt like they were just like i could just i felt like blood was coming out my feet they hurt so wow. bad and i remember thinking like i wish there was like somewhere i could go and grab some flats right now because i'm still trying to go to mansion you know i'm trying to keep it right. going wow the mansion and days. that didn't exist <laughs> Right. That didn't exist. Yeah. There was nowhere. To wait, I mean, even the stores on South Beach, those little shops that be open late, you can get some flats for two hundred dollars and they're not going to fit in your purse. So the next day I said, OK, this is the this is something God gave me an idea because I wanted I was ready to even though I had my own business as a consultant, I was ready for like my own business, like a product or like something that was mine, yeah. like how Urban Star was. That was my product and my product was me for this time span. And that's not always a good thing when your product is you because you, it's not scalable, mm -hmm. right? It's not scalable. And so I said, okay, I want to do something else. And I, I just really sat down and said, let me do some research and see if there's 
emergency flat shoes. Didn't see any on the market. Didn't see anything like it. And I said, okay, this was, this is my, my gift. And in the same time I thought about the shoes, I thought about we should, I should sell them in vending machines in the club because then I could have just went to mansion, got the shoes, kept it going. That's what I was right. thinking. Again, a problem and a pain point that I experienced personally yeah. that I witnessed other people experiencing and there was no solution. So I'm like, who better than me? Let me just, let me run with this. So again, seeing gaps and filling them, uh, we went, but also relationships, right? I mean, you and I have been friends for over 10 years. We'll get into that in a second. But you were able to leverage relationships that started to see the value in the skill set that you were creating and proving. Yes. And then that became a market for you. And you were able to create and be a pioneer again. Right. Um, so yes. that's very, very powerful being able to do that again, because most people being able to have a dream and make it become a reality is one thing, but then to be able to do it multiple times and to be able to do it successful is also levels in another thing, right? So big, big, big shout out to you for that. But then now it becomes personal, right? Because yeah. the other businesses was like, okay, let me do this and I can do this for people. But now this one comes from a personal experience where you're like, well, look, if I'm having this experience and I'm seeing all these other ladies have this experience, here's not only a need, but here's something that I'm personally affected by, and I now know I can create a product and or a service that will fill the void for people like me, right? So as people listen yeah. to this show and get different type of ideas who may be inspired by entrepreneurship, it doesn't always have to be, let me go build the rocket ship. It could be, what am I going through right now that I wish I had a gap that could be filled? And if there's nobody out there doing it, then I could be able to do that for me, right? So for you, personal experiences. And then as I always say, there's riches in the niches, right? So being able to lock in on providing the quality offering um, that really only you can do or that you're talking to your target consumer directly and they know how you feel. So that's that's amazing too and a, and a, and a big call out. So now you got this idea. I need to put flats in stores, but forget stores. I know the pain point specifically is at night in these clubs and it's hundreds and yeah. if not thousands of girls and ladies going here every night. So take us through. All right, cool. I got this pain in my shoes from this birthday party to now my, my, my vending machines are in nightclubs and airports around the world. I'm going to try to condense it fast because we all know, like anyone listens to this, it's nothing is there's no smooth road. It's like this. It's like actually crazy. And many disasters happened and many times it almost didn't happen. And, you know, all kinds of things happen. But the first thing that I did was just like start to research. How do you even manufacture a product? No, actually, the first thing I did was try to find out if somebody would just white label. Right. Cause I'm like, I don't know about no products. Can somebody just put my brand on this and just sell it to me? Right. Or can I just wholesale somebody else's product? So I found a company that was doing something similar in UK. I didn't find anything in the United States, but I'm like, okay, can I bring your business to the UK? I can be your, you know, I can really roll this out. And the prices they were giving me, I felt like were just too much. Like, I was like, nah. And then I started saying, I could just manufacture my own brand altogether. And so I, obviously I'm web savvy from being in internet for all these years. And I started digging around and I found this new website called Alibaba.com. Brand new janky website right. <laughs> called Alibaba.com. <laughs> And I found it was a way to connect with suppliers overseas, mainly China, also Mexico as well, but mainly China to find suppliers for products. And so I found my manufacturer that I still work with to this day. Now, 11 years later, I found that manufacturer on Alibaba. We went back and forth. Now, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So in hindsight, so many things could have went wrong. Me sending money to China. I don't know these people. We making samples. But like I just like was walking on faith and things were pretty much working out as far as finding a supplier. I just quickly put the MVP out, like put it out. I just want to see people will buy it. Mm -hmm. So I just made like, I think I made like my first round, like, all right, let me get 500 pairs. I think that was the minimum order quantity, MOQ. Nice. And I'm like, all right, they're just basic rollable flats, real simple, stamp the logo on the box, real simple. Um, and then I had a large audience already from me doing events for years right. at this point. So I just put it on Facebook. I had like a big Facebook community. 
and I said, ladies, first, first, before I launched them, I did a survey. I said, I'm trying to get a hundred responses to this survey. I was trying to see like, what's the price point? Do people carry shoes already? Would they buy them? So all of this stuff, I was like gathering information. I got like about 200 responses to my survey, which was more than I wanted because I needed a good data set. Right. Once I got the data set, so the market research done, I said, okay, people will pay for this. All right, they'll pay $20 for this. And keep in mind, this is like 11 years ago. So $20 is still kind of like, you could get stuff a lot cheaper. Right. You know, the competitor shoe, like, for example, Dr. Scholl's came out after that with one and it was like $12. So, like, there was cheap, flimsy versions. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to make these high quality. So, I put them on Facebook, threw up a quick, keep in mind, there's no Shopify, there's no Wix. Right. Did a quick e-commerce site that we had to build from scratch, but just, hey, buy cart payment portal. Very basic. And they sold out. Nice. So, I was like, okay. Nice, nice, <laughs> They nice. going to buy these. Okay, yeah. so... And then I started running it. Then I said, okay, let me make them better. Because if I'm going to really double down on this, I have to be clear on what makes my flats better, right. what makes them stand out. And I have to create a brand because I knew I couldn't get a patent. I didn't have any intellectual property. Right. So if, knowing that I don't have any IP, I knew I had to build a very strong brand. And my inspiration for branding has always been Kleenex. Because no matter what kind of tissue that you get, People still will call it a Kleenex right. because they branded themselves so well that it could be a Kroger brand, Publix brand. They're going to say, hand me a Kleenex. Right. So I said, okay, let me let me get this brand popping. So powerful, powerful stuff. So you, first and foremost, saw this idea, but then you created MVP and you created a survey to do two quality, powerful things that we need to call out. So what's the MVP? For the for the for the for the family, the minimum viable product, meaning like the minimum thing you can put out just to show people will buy it. It don't have to be the best version of it. Just like the minimum thing you can do to get to market the fast. Exactly. So let me get something that's quality out that I'm willing, I'm comfortable and willing to put my name on, but it doesn't let, take me a lot of time to market, and I can see if the people actually want it before I spend all this time, energy, effort, money, and resources on something that might not even sell. Right. So exactly. after you get that idea and that that desire to put this thing together, then you want to get an MVP to see if the people are going to actually do it. The next thing that she said it was very important is data. We always want to make data driven decisions. So, you know, her gut, her mind, her heart, her emotions, her feelings could have said, I want to do this. I'm very passionate about it. I want to go get it done. But if nobody's going to pay for it, then it's not necessarily worth it. So she said, let me put out this survey to see if people are going to actually pay for it and get data so that I can make a data-driven decision on this. And I talk about this all the time in trading and investing, but it goes around all business and all the life making educated, informed, data-driven decisions. So two things that help increase her speed to success was getting the MVP out getting some data and making some moves. Not saying it's going to be easy or comfortable or it's going to happen overnight, but at least you are doing things that's moving forward towards the goal and you having data, not just making emotional driven decisions. And getting the data helps you to build the right product because a lot of times they'll call out things that I never thought of. You can't be too attached to the product where you won't make adjustments. You have to listen to what the customer says. So all the time when I do surveys, I'm surprised at some things that I find out that I didn't expect. And so it really did help me to build the product the market wants at the price point the market wants. And it also helped me to source my materials accordingly. Because if I know they're not going to spend more than $20, I want to get my margins in a certain place to make money. Right. But I ain't going to go and build the most expensive boxes, the most expensive fabrics, and then I'm not making no money. So I had to course according to the margins that I wanted to get from this. And I knew that in retail, I was really trying to hit that 70% because I'm going to have to reduce my margin to do wholesale. Right. So I said, okay, I got to get a product made for $2 and 50 cents. Right. That's what I have to do. And that's what I yes. did. Cause you in the business to make money. So it's cool to be generating revenue, but you also got to get some profits in there so that you can actually operate the business and run the business. So that leads us to Right around 2013, when we actually first met, Don and I met at a pitch competition. She's like a pitch queen, too. She so hasn't really hit on that. But uh, we were at a pitch competition, pitch against each other for uh, Shark Dame, uh, Shark Dame, Damon John um, from Shark Tank. And Miller Lite had an event called, what was it, Tap the Future. Tap the Future. And they were going around a company doing pit, uh, pitch competitions, and they came to Miami. 
and, and my friend, and uh, we were pitching in this competition. We were like the finalists. Minute. It was like what two to five of us or three to five of us, and mm-hmm. and we all pitched and Don won first place and I won second. And that's literally how we met and just been friends ever since. So if she and wants Dion's to talk about the pitch stuff, like, she can. Hold on, who, who don't beat me? Huh? Who don't beat me? I need to know this. I think that's, you're not you playing it. that like. No, you got it. You, you definitely, you definitely won. You um. She definitely had pitching down to a science. Like she was on her, she was, it was data driven. She was on point, very confident and stuff like that. And obviously, if you know me, I was going in there with the same thing and the same sauce, but uh, she was also already at revenue producing and kicking and already had a big following and stuff like that. And my brand was relatively new, especially in that market at that time as well. And all those things make a difference in general when you're hitting the market. And it makes a difference when you're looking to get outside capital or OPM, other people's money or raising investing, which leads us to our another point, because now you're getting to a point with flat out of heels where you start selling, you're producing stuff. You're like, man, I need to get to scale. I need some growth capital. I need to expand and grow this, which leads you on two paths, one towards scaling technology and two towards raising money. And so you've raised millions of dollars now. Walk us through how those two paths presented themselves and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I raised money right away for Flat Out. So even my very first business, Urban Star, I raised $10,000 from my dad. So every business except for D1 Consulting was, of course, I was the product. I didn't need to raise money for that. So I I knew how to raise money because, remember, I was in nonprofits. Right, I knew right. how to get grants. I knew how to fundraise. I actually went to school for nonprofit fundraising management at IUPUI in Indianapolis. Nice. So I learned how to fundraise from like the biggest school of philanthropy in the world. And I just applied those skills to my businesses. Because nice. what I learned was the number one reason why people don't donate is because you don't ask. So I say the number one reason why people don't invest in you or buy your product is because you don't right. ask. And not like assuming that, oh, they know I'm raising money or they know I sell shoes. Can you buy my product? Will you invest? Can I count you in? Like, got to really ask. And so I went and just like put together my deck, which, you know, I knew how to do decks from my nonprofit life. And right away after I got the idea for Flat Out, I pitched it to one of my best friends from college and I raised $10,000 really quick. That helped me get the LLC, the paperwork, the website launch and my first product run. But that wasn't enough to scale, like you said. Once I got this tractions, what they call it, I took what they gave me, built the site, sold out, took that, flipped it to order something else. I said, okay. I got another order coming in, but I don't have any money for marketing. I don't have, I need money. So I went to my network from my athlete network, people that knew me already and had people who had experience working with me in the past. And just so happened they were high net worth accredited investors. I did not know these terms back Mm -hmm. then. I did not know like about accredited and non-accredited, but thank goodness everybody that I was working with was accredited investors. And my friends, they were accredited individuals from in their careers. And so I was able to raise within that first year $250,000 from my network. Nice. Just me going out to my network of athletes, entertainers, and my college um, alumni. So my friends from college. Because keep in mind, at this time, I'm like, um, am I 30 yet? I don't think I'm 30 yet. So I'm still like, you know, still close. We're like, we're still all coming up. We're, we're emerging young professionals. Right. And so I tapped into that network. So it's so important. And I learned this from you as well. You're a master networker, master. You. You're way better than me. I love going places with you to just tag on along with the networking. <laughs> but you always tap into your baseball network to the fullest, your Kappa network to the fullest, your college network to the fullest. And I've seen you doing that. And that is really what carries you. So it's like so important to have integrity when you're, even when you don't think you need people because one day you may need them. And I'm just so glad that, you know, my college friends came in after that. So when you and I met, I tapped out that network. That's my warm market tapped out. Everybody I know that got money. They didn't either told me no or gave me some money. <laughs> so I had to go out to the world and it wasn't a good time for that kind of business. Dion, you know, you remember this is the time of the apps. Even your business was a great lifestyle business. It was a great event business, but they wanted an app. They wanted a subscription box. Yeah. So like that was what was hot the same way Web3 is hot today. Right. They want everybody who got Web3 today. They want everybody who had an app back then. So they kept telling me, we don't invest in shoes. We don't invest in consumer products. We don't invest in no investors will really give me a chance. Plus, this is 2000 and what, 13, 14. Black women had not raised a million dollars yet. None of them. Nobody. Sheesh. <laughs> 
this is before any of them women raise money. This is new. Like they're not messing with me. Right. So this is what I was like, okay, I'm about to go to pitch competitions and just try to win money because my background before tech is journalism. And I feel like I have good presentation skills and I'm not shy. So that's literally how I funded my business. I remember Essence Festival, I think 2000 and I don't know, 13, 14, around that time, 12, I had no money in the bank, negative. And the pitch competition at Essence Festival, I won $25,000. And they gave me that check when I got off the stage, like a regular check. Right. Like I was like, God, I'm going to the bank tomorrow. <laughs> we back, you know? So like, that's, that's how I funded the business from sales. We were generating at this point about 250,000, $300,000 a year in sales nice. and, you know, just growing organically. So it became a lifestyle business. But at this time I realized two things. I had to separate the vending component from the shoe mm -hmm. business. Because at the same time, I've launched this shoe brand, selling them online e-commerce. I'm still trying to pursue my vision of like, let's sell them in vending machines. But that shit was really, really, really hard. It was hardware, trying to find someone to work with me, to sell me a machine, to customize it, to build it. And it was exhausting my resources from flat out. Right. It was like a lot of money to do this. So I said, okay, I need to separate these businesses. And I realized that I definitely had a business that could be standalone with the vending in 2013 when we went viral with Marcus Lamonis on the biz fix. So it was a Yahoo um, finance show. So before the profit, he had the bit your biz fix. So he flew to Miami, he profiled me and he talked about how like, I have the next big idea, but I need capital. Right. Like this was like a big thing. And after that interview ran, that feature ran, I had over 350 people reach out to me by email saying, can I either buy a flat out machine and sell flat out to my in my city or can I buy a machine and sell my own product? Right. I never thought of that. Nice, nice. I never thought of that. Yeah. And they just gave me a business. I mean, 350 to the point where I was like, okay, yeah. And I ended up getting like, 12 deposits for a thousand dollars from people who was that serious about getting a vending machine nice. built so that's when i knew i needed to separate let flat out of heels be e-commerce wholesale in in this retail woman cpg product it can partner with what was then called shoe vending international right sbi remember that vending international then i changed it to solutions vending international which is still our actual legal name today popcom's our trademark but I had to change from shoe vending because, again, very narrow. I, you could tell I started the business just to build shoe vending right. machines. <laughs> then when I realized when it went viral, I was like, oh, snap. Now it's solutions it's vending. I had to just figure out, yeah. we're going to just vend solutions. But that helped me realize I need to separate these businesses and I'm going to need way more capital to build hardware and build this um vending machine company for distribution of retail products so went back to my investors and i was like hey i got another idea i want to split this out you know and one of my investors gave me a hundred thousand dollars he said put ten thousand to flat out and put 90 towards this new vending venture okay. and that's what really floated me for like three years while i researched and kept going through prototypes r d learning i had to spend two years just learning i didn't know anything about the industry about vending about manufacturing about electrical engineering about software mm -hmm. about payments about none of thing so i went to every conference that was out there in the industry and i networked my butt off and and just just seeing what the industry was like after two years of research yeah. I, I said this is a market that i can disrupt this is an industry that is ripe for disruption i have the information that i need now I have a customer base. By this time, people were like, obviously years, two years went by, they were antsy, you know, so I had refunded deposits by then. Cause I was like, you guys, I can't stand by this product right now. Mm -hmm. I can sell you something, but I always see the big vision. I'm not, I'm not a hustler. I'm not about to just try to come up on a sale. I want a lifetime customer. Right. What's your customer acquisition? What's your lifetime value for life? Right. You know, right. like I want you to <laughs> you a bad product. You're not coming back. Or, or I sell you a machine that's not that good and you're gonna like be upset, be disgruntled. So I said, let me create a product I can stand behind and that I know can have longevity. And that actually took me years. And that, you know, that's what I raised all the money for. I raised the first million from VC in 2017, 2018. Then now went on to raise almost 6 million. I raised over 6 million, but 350,000 of it 
got taken away, didn't clear. Whole nother story. So 5.7 and now raising again. And all of that was like R&D. So research and development, keeping the team going, custom software, making mistakes, making mistakes, making mistakes, expensive mistakes, another expensive mistake. And then finally, you know, got the product to market after literally nine years of in five iterations of the vending machine. So lot to unpack there. I mean, first and foremost, creating a product and or service that you believe in and that you're willing to stand on and put your name behind and deliver it for the people is extremely, extremely important. Having the resilience and sticking to it when things get tough, because it's not always going to be good. It's not going to always be comfortable. Having a network that knows, likes, and trusts you and supports you and, 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 and believes in you, right? Being able to deliver on what it is that you say that you're going to deliver and believe it, even if it's you know down the road, you're still working on it and you're still working towards it. And then if you can't, then say, hey, look, let me give you your money back. This is where we are. If you yes. want to hang around, cool, but I'm still going to chase it. But right now, I'm not willing to put my stamp on it. And if you can't wait any yes. longer... I understand, but at least you'll know and respect, you know, that I took care of your money. I'm chasing the goals and dreams and that I want you to be a part of it when I'm ready to put my name and stamp on it. Right. But then understanding pivoting, right. Knowing that, Hey, look, this is getting me closer to the goal, but this might not be the exact route. So we need to slightly pivot to understand and separate the technology from the product, separate the product from the machine. And then now, you know, you got three offerings or three revenue streams because you were not stubborn and you allowed the data to lead you to make data-driven decisions. And it might be uncomfortable, it might be hard, but if you want to grow and you want to expand, you need to go with the flow and you need to understand that the data, the survey and the people, the market is going to tell you what is really going to work and what's really going to move and what's really going to sell, right? So you were positioned. One thing I want to hit on is you were positioned because you take the time to bet on yourself and learn whether that was getting continual education, whether that was taking courses, whether that was getting mentors and understanding and learning and mastering your skill, your craft, your product, your service, right? So that's what we try to teach and talk about at Money School. Like it's not just about Oh, I want to make money. I want to be an entrepreneur. This is cool. This is hot. You know what I'm saying? I want to control my own schedule. But it's like, no, actually learning these skills that are transferable, learning these skills that once you learn, you can never unlearn it. You can pass it down to your kids, et cetera. Um, yeah. But then mastery at being the person for that thing. Like, I can't think about anybody else when it comes to vending machines, but yes, but Don, that's how you want to be, right? You, and you're building a brand around that. Right. Yes. And then when it comes to crowdfunding, as you can get ready to talk about here in a second, raising money, not from the traditional route, but raising the money from the people and giving the ability to people to eat off of it as well. When I think crowdfunding, I think Don. Right. When people think about money, I want them to think about money school. When they think about trade and invest. I want them to think about Dion or money school. So you've built that brand. Talk as we wrap up here. Talk a little bit about raising from the people and with the people and for the people and then how you just had an amazing deal with Diddy himself uh, in and around Popcom. Yeah, so for sure. You hit on something that I love and it's, it's really called being a subject matter expert. And no matter what you do, you have to continue to position yourself as a subject matter expert. And you do that through things like we're doing now, this podcast, talking, blogging, interviews, really putting out content across all your social sites about your industry, not just about your product, but about your industry, about what makes you different. So really like being the authority and then speaking, speaking at conferences. So when I realized like, okay, I need to put myself at the top of this game. Nobody going to put me at the top. Nobody going to be like, Dawn, oh, you're smart. Come do this. Or like, Dawn, you deserve a raise. I decided I'm going to be in this room and I put myself in this room and I placed myself in this industry. And then I started like volunteering to be on panels and things to get it, to get myself out there just to get my profile raised. And so that really, really worked. And then now it's escalated to where now, you know, I'm getting paid five figures for speaking right now on the way to six figures one day, you know? So, but at first it was just speaking free because for me, it was like, I just want a news clip to share so that I'm a subject matter expert. They know that I know what I'm talking about because when you go out to get investors or sell a product, now we got Google, they're going to Google you right away. Who is this? What's this person about? So you have to populate and curate your online presence to tell the story you want to tell. Luckily, I've been into marketing and and online marketing for 20 plus years. So I understand that what goes online never goes away. 
And I've always curated my online presence to my benefit, to make me look good. There, you, you know, you got to be careful what you're putting out there. So that's that. But then your question about like the, the fundraising and like, you know, what made me go down that path was like after <clears throat> raising the first round with Popcom, I was just trying to go. To, I was just really, really you was there too. like we were in the beginning of this whole like tech community, right. tech scene, right. black tech founders, startup. That's new stuff that just start being thrown around, like maybe even not even 10 years ago. And I wanted to be a part of that. It seemed cool. Like I was already an entrepreneur, but like the tech scene seemed cool. I wanted to be down. So I looked at it. We studied. We read all the books. We read all the books. <laughs> this is what it's all about it. Go to the venture capital. Go to Silicon Valley. So I went out of Silicon Valley. I was pitching flat out. That's how I met my friend and now mentor Clarence Wooten. Pitching flat out. And they turned their backs, you know, and I, I did raise the first million because it was at the time, it was an inflection point in the same inflection where 2020 was like the George Floyd, we want to give black people money because we just did y'all real dirty and we're going to give y'all money and we all benefited from 2020. The same type of inflection point happened when they were calling out people saying, it's not a pipeline problem. There's many black people who's raising money and they're really putting it out there. And that's when Rise of the Rest by Steve Case launched. And he went to Columbus. And that's how I really got my got my first round close. I did Tech Stars and then Rise of the Rest. And I got to be put on a platform where they saw me. But I still felt like it was a diversity investment. It wasn't because they want to support, they wanted to help me move forward, or they even believed in me. They're just like, you know what? Give her a couple hundred thousand out of our fund. It's whatever. You know, we're already investing $2.5 million checks in these white boys. So just get this girl a hundred thousand and it'll add up to a million. And it did, and it was great. But then everybody knows you need follow on funding. Nobody invests in early stage tech company and what writes one check and walks away. Not a good investor. You follow on. You continue to build on your investment and build that company up and build your 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 shares in that company so you can have this exit. And when I went back for, you know, to get follow on because we had some very devastating things happen, including having our prototypes stolen from and you were there having our prototypes stolen. Literally. Um, was after there. <laughs> You were there in person, physically there. And they were like, nah, Dawn, like we gave you a chance. You know, you they stole your they stole your prototype. We don't we don't fund litigation. So we're not giving you money because we don't want you to go spend our money on getting a lawyer to get this machine back. Right. Just chalk it up. You try, keep it moving. The same time our friend Brian Burkeen and other people were doing these ICOs and we was tapping into crypto. And I'm like, okay. Bump y'all. Let me go jump on this ICO route because I already understand crypto. I'm already trading, you know, in my free time and really studying it. The crypto investors are just open minded. They're not seeing if you're black or white. It's just like, hey, we got money. To, we got bags. And it's like also all kinds of bags is getting thrown around. Bags galore. Right. 2017. <laughs> and so I was like, OK, I'm going to tap into this ICO. I'm going to do initial coin offering. I'm going to raise, you know. $30 million or however much I need to write. I think I was trying to raise $20 million and I'm going to roll this out myself. And I very well could have did it. had a white paper, went to Dubai. You were there in Dubai, <laughs> in, Dubai. <Yeah. laughs> in Dubai, the world blockchain forum. I'm making strides. I, I get people that want to, that want to invest. They're committing. I get back to the United States and the SEC done changed the laws, right. changed the laws. Wow. So it's illegal now. So remember Brian, Brian raised $30 million. He had to give it all back. back. Yeah. I seen with my own two eyes the bank account with the money in it because he showed me. It's like my best friend. We like, oh my God, look at this. It's real. Yeah. He had to send it back. So for me, I'm like, oh my God. Now these investors are not rock with me. Cause I already said I'm doing the ICO and I already didn't tell them kick rocks. It's illegal now. And the and the saving grace was that they rode in the ability to do tokens under the Jobs Act. Right. And so the Jobs Act was passed in 2012. Obama administration is called Jumpstart Our Business Startups. And it's a way to help you be able to access capital easier by allowing you to raise money from non-accredited investors. So people that make under 200,000 a year as individual, under 300,000 as a couple or under a million dollars net worth, that's accredited. This was a revolutionary thing because prior to that, since 1920, with the Regular Securities Act, no one who's not accredited could invest in privately held companies. Right. So as you're an investor, so you kept the rich kept getting richer, the rich can get in the deals. Even if the deal was $500, you couldn't get in if you wasn't already rich. Right. So 
So how are we going to get richer? It kept us out of deals for decades and it kept everybody from getting generational wealth, but those who were already rich. And so when they put the token under there as called a secure token offering, an STO under the Jobs Act, I said, okay, this is a perfect way to continue the crypto momentum that I already started, but also be able to really tap in and raise money from my community, people who bought flat out, people that went to the Urban Star, bought flat outs, party with D1 Consulting. They already know me. They can invest. They see my track record. They see me been working for 15 years. They know I'm good for it. The VC, they don't know I'm good for it. They don't know me. I'm not white. I ain't go to Harvard. I'm not from the Bay. They never see nobody like me. They don't know if I'm good for right. it, but my people know I'm good for it. And so I said, okay, I'm going to try this. There was no one that ever raised a secure token offering. Black people barely understood what crypto was right. and they never invested before. And I was like, this is a big risk. This is a big risk, but I know I want to do it because if this, if I can pull this shit off, I can really, really change the game for a lot of people. Yeah. And thank God for my friend, Amir Boyd. He took me on the breakfast club and my friend, our friend, I met through you, Janaya Griffin took me on Karen Hunter show. And those two media appearances yeah. changed the trajectory of my life and my business yeah. forever because it went viral. And being on the cover of Black Enterprise don't help as well. The cover don't of hurt. Black Enterprise is interesting. That was 2018. It's crazy. I'm looking at it right now on my wall. It's me and Brian Burkeen. That time. Yeah. When it, when the I shot the cover in Dubai. When you and I were in Dubai, yeah. they sent a photographer shoot me in Dubai. Yeah. It was amazing. I was over there you know, I'm excited. I've raised a million dollars already. That was that was a but monumental time, trip and inflection point a for a lot of our careers. Of <laughs> yes. Yes. By the time the shit came out in June, at the time of the Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Conference, I was broke. I had no more money. And runway was out. Investors wasn't rocking with me. Brian was broke. He had to re refund thirty million dollars. That's when you came to see me in L.A., right? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm smiling. I made it. No, I'm struggling. <laughs> and the two times this happened to me when I was like in the biggest media you could be in, I was like in the worst place ever. And I was like, is this real? Like, I always looked at the cover. Of course, I deserve it in the merits. But at that moment, I'm like, damn, I'm successful. Everybody congratulated me. But like, I'm really going through it right, right. now. Um, it's bad. Real life of know? an entrepreneur putting it all in on the on on the on the entity yes. and, and betting it all on yourself and on the entity and yes, and they're like she raised a million dollars and they're looking at me like how you broke, right? Because <laughs> a lot of people don't understand business too. You got to spend money to make money. You got to put money in the business. You got to cover the yes. overhead. You got to cover the product, the service, the tech. The, right. It's a lot. Trust right. me, you know I know. I'm no fan of Elon Musk, but I, I will never forget about the story of him selling PayPal, getting that liquidity and investing it all into his and business. Sleeping, sleeping on, on the couch. couch. I will never. That I mean, he was wealthy, but he saw something bigger. And so I have to remind myself that in those moments. And I always tell this story about how you, you called the Uber for me when I had not a single card yeah. of like 10 debit and credit cards. Not one of them will go through for an Uber ride that costs $20. Not one. Because I had really, really just like tapped out all of my liquidity, all of my money, all of my credit, doubling down on my business when investors wouldn't invest in me. But me betting on myself, I'm the horse. I mean, I'm the jockey. I can take any horse it's, and go. It's all paid so off, though. I'm the jockey. I bet on me. And, you know. And I you won. And you've myself. overcome and you continue to win. Everything. And you're doing yeah it now and helping other people and you know you know when you have this liquidity event that you want to do it could be one of the most life-changing wealth creation e events in history right um For and so thousand plus people dion we have ten thousand plus investors. oh i know i'm one of them <laughs> I, would, I would say it, about 80 to 90 percent of those are black people powerful stuff powerful stuff so with that, I think that's a, a beautiful place to kind of wrap up and see where we are. Tell the people how they can follow you, how they can uh, get involved in what you're doing, you know, and how they can get in contact with you. Yes. So I'm Dawn Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N, on all the platforms you can find me on there. I really like to engage the most on Twitter and LinkedIn, so find me there. I'm currently raising another round for Popcom. So quick recap, we raised 
Well, almost six million across three rounds, 10,000 investors from all 50 states, 13 countries. And we took that money and rebuilt the product. We launched uh, 12 pop shop machines. We have a patent that we have awarded in 2020. We have this partnership that we just did with Empower Global just this past weekend with P. Diddy. So P. Diddy has a new shop block, shop black marketplace. And they're using our pop shop machines as their physical brick and mortar component of their marketplace. So they launched it at Revolt Summit, killed it, crushed the sales goals. We have other, some other really big customers and some really big celebrity partnerships. And so we're taking this new round to launch more pop shop local machines, which again, pop shop local, it's where we allow small businesses like Flatout to sell their products in airports, hotels, malls, conference centers. So we're always looking for brands for that. And you can go to startengine.com forward slash popcom minimum investment is $100 our first round we raised at 16 cent a share we're right now at 44 cent a share it's actually a down round we last raised at 56 cent a share but we did a small half a million dollar down round letting everybody take advantage of the discount everybody's on sale all the stocks are on sale including private mm -hmm. everybody's on sale I was in resistance to that but it's the truth the market spoke yeah so you can get in on this opportunity you know at, at a at a lower share price and we're going to continue to grow but we've already been giving you know returns for our investors as far as value on their investment so i'm really really proud of that and that's what's next you know just keep watching us we're popcom tech on all social media we have some big announcements coming and i'm just excited because like for years we were just building products building products nice speculating what they wanted December 2021 is product market fit. We've been generating money every month. We've generated over $100,000 this year from our software, just SaaS. Nice. And so that's really what, I, you know, what I've been targeting. So I'm really looking forward to getting us up to $45,000 a month in our MRR based on the number of machines that we have in the market. And that will be able to, I can take that model and then replicate it from 25 machines to you know, 25,000 machines. Because once you get that model down, yeah and you know how to do it, you just continue to duplicate that. Yeah, optimize and then scale. Nice, well, congratulations. So I definitely want to help the community. So if you guys wanna purchase a Popcom machine or get involved, the show notes will be down in there. And so we do ask all of our guests to give like an affiliate link. So we will have that in the notes as well. Um, it'll be, you know, popcom.shop forward slash money school. And it'll be in the notes there so you could be a part of whatever Donna's is doing because she's a very bright, successful um, entrepreneur, individual in general. And then she's, what she's doing is for the people. So definitely got love and support from my end. I am a happy and proud investor in Popcom. So looking forward to getting to thank another you. round as well. And uh, yeah. we will wrap here. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of the Money Game Podcast with me, Dion Pouncil. And I look forward to seeing you in the future episodes. So. Thank you again, Don. And love, uh, love, love light, peace, wealth, great health, and abundance to each of you guys. And I'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Money Game. For more Money Game secrets, visit themoneygamepodcast.com. And be sure to share the podcast with someone you know that is looking to level up. And as always, love, light, peace, wealth, great health, and abundance to each of you.